0: We are continuing our series in Colossians. Uh, I apologise that I don't I don't have a PowerPoint, but I don't. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're picking up the end of Colossians three. So I'll, I'll read it, and then and then we'll we'll get into it. So Colossians three verse eighteen uh, says this: If you've got a Bible, y- you can turn to it, and you can stop laughing, Laura Brown. Um, no, I know, I know that. Yeah. Um, children or they will become discouraged slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Father we thank you for just your your presence with us. We thank you that you're here, and I pray that um as I come to speak on these words or some of these words, that you will uh, illuminate our hearts to your ways and your truth in Jesus name. Amen. So we've been going through a series in Colossians, and uh, You know the series we've called "Above All Else, Jesus." So it's about the supremacy of Christ over all things. And Paul was writing this letter to a church that were having struggles in the sense that people were uh, trying to tell them that you needed to add something to Christ in addition to him uh, to be saved. And and he's saying, no, that's not the way. And 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 when you come to this particular passage, you can almost think, well, how does this fit in? How does this these sort of words of scripture fit in and and really they fit in in the sense that the motivation for everything is to please the Lord the motivation is all about what's fitting in the Lord and that, and that under the surface there are motivations that are to to help the the Christian in every daily relationship that they have because sometimes we can see Christianity as being a church thing, and that, and that we come to church and we worship. And you know, some churches they'll speak in tongues, and some churches they'll have the the spirit will be working. But then, when we step out of that environment, actually, it's not very Christian. We're not driven by faith issues. We're driven just by the issues around us. And so, what Paul is saying here is, no, in every situation that you face, it's about pleasing the Lord. And uh, for me personally. I'm really comfortable with that. I I love that type of thing. That's sort of where I go on my own. It's about, okay, how do I please the Lord? It doesn't mean I always do it, but it does mean that I'm quite comfortable with that idea. Now, I've just read a, a passage of scripture and I, I just want to say, I'm not this morning going to talk about wives and husbands and husbands and uh, wives and that type of stuff and children obeying parents. Not because... I don't think that's important. I think that's really important. But in July, I'm planning to do three weeks on relationships and marriage and family and things like that. The 1st, the 8th, and the 15th of July. And I think that's really important. You'll know that. I think it's really important for us as a church because part of what God has called us to be is to be a family. And that means that we would have appropriate relationships and that you get the design right, then you don't need to be the perfect parent to do well. But if you get the design wrong, then, then it takes a lot of effort and it's always clunking. You know, if it's like driving a car out of gear or in the wrong gear. It doesn't quite work. You can make it work, but it doesn't quite work. So getting the design right is important. And we will look at that um, those first three weeks in July. What I want to focus on today is really verses 22 through to uh, verse uh, four, uh, 1 of, of chapter 4, which is slaves and masters. Now, some commentators that, that I've read um, urge caution in trying to translate slaves and masters to, um, if you like, employers and employees today. Some some urge caution on that. Um, and I can sort of understand why they would do that. But actually, in reality, there, there is a link. And other commentators say, you know, you can make that link and you should make that link. Now, obviously, there isn't a link because because in life today, when you're at work, your your work doesn't own you, or you might feel like it does, but it doesn't actually own you. You can leave and stuff like that. You might feel trapped in it, but it doesn't actually own you. In theory, it shouldn't exploit you. Again, you might think, well, my, you know, I'm a slave to work. Yeah, you might think that of your own situation. Um, and, and but, you know, when we talk about slaves and masters, I, I don't want to diminish what slavery was. So, but slavery in the first century and slavery, even as we see it today, is probably slightly different to when you think about, the, say, the transatlantic slave trade. They're probably slightly different. Um, in in Roman times, in the first century, a third of the workforce were slaves. And they didn't walk around with sort of uh, in chains and they, they didn't walk around necessarily with whipped backs. Um, they actually w- were part of the economy. They helped make things work. Some some of the slaves were um, you know, taught children. They carried quite responsible roles. Even if you go back to the Old Testament, you think of you think of the Israelites having been taken into Babylon. At one level, they were slaves in Babylon, and 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 Daniel was in Babylon, but he was he was almost like a slave in Babylon. He was owned by someone else, but he carried responsibility. And so, it does more. It is more akin to work in terms of what they did than it is to. Uh, simply to slavery as we understand it, the exploitation of people and the ownership of people, which obviously these days, uh, again, it's a a slightly different approach. It's a slightly different situation when we see slavery uh, today that we sort of uh, come against. And the the, the difference, again, also in, in first century Judaism is that slavery was an acceptable way of operating. It's not now. You know, Slavery isn't acceptable, and yet there is a way in which it sort of works. I mean, sometimes I do wonder whether or not we're, some of us are in slavery to work in terms of the hours that we feel we have to do, the fear that sometimes drives us in our work. Um, but I wanted to sort of look at work for a bit um, this morning. And I, I wanted to affirm, first of all, this, this church, because if we were to add up the number of hours that people here put into work, uh, it is incredible. It's incredible the number of hours that people give, and I know that for so many people here, um, one of the reasons they, they don't connect into church, or this at least helps me, is, is that they work so hard. They work so many hours, and you get people who are coming home. I mean, we get a tweet this week from Bill, and he was at work, and it was 2 a.m. And I was like, what? I mean, I wasn't awake at that moment. I read it later when I got up, but I was like, man, sometimes people put in hours and hours to work. And so it is important for us as Christians to look at that. And what does it mean to be a Christian in the workplace? Because we can be a Christian in the church and we can just be like everyone else in the workplace. And that, that's actually not how it's meant to be. We're meant to be a Christian wherever we are. And so I just want to say a few things about that. What I've done, um, at one level this is sacrilegious but please forgive me, I've I'm just going to look at that passage again and I'm going to replace the words. It's hard hearing. I'm going to replace the words slaves and masters with workers and boss. This is how it reads. Workers, obey your earthly bosses in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Bosses, provide your workers with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a boss in heaven. Now when I was talking to, I was talking to a number of people about about this. I I mentioned it to Yasmin, um, one of my daughters, and she was like, Dad, have you ever worked? I was like, well, of course I've worked. And uh, obviously it was a long time ago uh, from their perspective, but I worked for 14 years for the Crown Prosecution Service from from about the age of 20 till I was about uh, 35. So I know what it is to work. Yeah, I know what it is to have a job and to have to, have to go there every day and, and stuff like that, and yet also to have passions for other things. I know that feeling, and then when I was talking to Pauline and I, and I was talking to to Becky our, our, our sort of lodger and and I realized that when I think about these things i've got these principles and they're over here, and then people's reality is over here often, and I'm not very good at always bridging the gap, so forgive me if i if you think man, I, I don't even think those thoughts I are mean. but I know what drives me is not. What drives me is not what comes out on the outside. Um, what drives me is what's on the inside. So what drives me is not the conduct, it's the motive. Yeah? So you can do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. And, uh, and it's recognizing that how do I make those things consistent? And So um, in some ways, that's what I want to talk about. And, and I really want to talk about the Christian work ethic and the Christian motive for work, which should be very, very different to those around you. It should be very different, particularly because we live in a world where people more and more are actually running away from God and his values. So in some ways, you don't need to, you, you don't need to work very hard to be different. And you don't actually need to do very much to be different because everyone else so wants to avoid God and run from him that you simply stand in a particular place. You will become very radical. Simply by remaining the same. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, but I am saying that that is really important. Now, for many of us, the encouragement of work is this: when you're in work, do people know that you're a Christian? That's a question. You say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I need to let them know." Some know, some know I'm a Christian. Some, some don't know. You know, have you ever invited anyone to church? Do you tell people about Jesus? And we're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." All those things. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. They are important. Um, but actually, the way you work. Is as important, and how you operate, and the mindset you have, because it's really possible to do all those right things and to tell people about Jesus and to be to be kind and friendly in work, but to have exactly the same work ethic as everybody else. And and I understand the challenge of that because you might go, I mean, if you if you were working where I'm working, you just couldn't help but get caught up with the culture of the workplace, and I, I do understand that. But somehow, God must give us grace. In our workplace, to be just to be different, to be Christian, and to follow His example. And so, uh, really, I want to I want to talk about that, and 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 the fact that it's a desire for us to sort of stand out. Now, I, I would say this: if we can apply the truths, the principles of this particular passage in Colossians, I'll tell you what I think will happen if you can apply these principles to your life. If, If through the Holy Spirit, these principles get into you. The personality of your boss won't influence how you operate. The culture of your work won't influence how you operate. Whether you get overlooked at work or you get discriminated against at work won't influence how you operate if you can apply the principles of Colossians 3, um, verse 22 to uh, 4, 1 into your work life. And that's what I think um, I'm going to be trying to explain and why I think that. Now, I understand that some of you are in pretty tricky work situations and already you're like, oh, I mean, you know, it's just hard. It's just hard just being there. Yeah, I don't even like work. I don't want to do work. And so, you know, hopefully just hear me out and I hope I don't I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't want I don't need to think that I'm saying you know, you need to be a doormat at work or that you shouldn't go for promotion or you shouldn't do your best. I'm not saying any of those things, but I am saying that let's be consistent as believers with how we work and with uh, um, our faith. So I want to address three issues that I think come up in work and, and face us as Christians, and actually, uh, particularly for Christians, but also that they face you whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. The first principle is this. The purpose of your work is for God to use you and to change you, not for you to change it. Yeah, You're not in work to change the system. You're in work for God to use you and to change you. And there's more changing of you that will go on in your work than anything else. And in that sense, work, in theory at least, should be a blessing. It's grace that God would put me in a situation where he would use me and change me. And that he would allow situations to occur there that change me and make me more like him because of how I respond to them. And I want to talk about discrimination, but, but talk about it really, really broadly. Discrimination being the idea that someone might discriminate between one person and another. And it might not just be, it could be for any or every reason. You know, you've got blue hair you know ben's got red hair and someone might say oh he's got red hair he's not going he's not going to get promotion that's, that's discrimination yeah and the truth is that we live in a world where discrimination happens and often it happens very subtly these days because there are rules and laws that govern against it but they it still happens we know we know that to be true either to ourselves or to those around us and it might happen simply because you're not your boss's favorite. I remember working in a particular office where, um, and I, I thought about saying the names, but I thought, no, this could go online, and, and I know these guys aren't Christians, but one day, what if they heard if I used their names in a preach? But there was, there was a guy whose name began with M, and he was at my work, and the boss, her name, she began with N, and she was at my work, and the boss loved him. Yeah, now I don't think there was anything going on. I, I was unaware of it, but but the boss clearly loved him and M was favoured. yeah. And I was not favoured. And one of the ways I was not favoured was at the, um, at the last minute, sometimes we used to have to go to court because somebody was off sick and somebody would have to go and cover. I was always being sent to court. Yeah, Owen, I mean, can you go? So I'd walk into the office and I, before I'd even put my bag down, I was being sent off to court. And I was aware because th- this boss, for whatever reason, hadn't been trained about how to be a boss and therefore j- just loved him, would sit on his desk and chat and everything. And I'd be, piles of files and I'd be like, oh, I mean, yeah, okay, okay, let's, I can have more of that. Yeah, but that, that happened at work. And obviously there, there are a number of ways of responding to that. Yeah. So the fact that that happened didn't mean that God didn't love me, the fact that it happened. Yeah? But the way I respond is a real indicator of whether I love God and I'm working for him. And so I remember, I remember one day, and I, you know, because I used to just go on, I used to do these things, I used to go to court and everything, um, and I remember one day coming into work, and she was about to send me to... Um, to court I hadn't even taken my coach she said oh before you take," I was, and I said oh no I can't go into work going to go court today because I think I think Yasmin had just been born so I was about to go home and so I was like laughing to myself ha you can't send me to court today yeah I know I probably shouldn't have done that but I, I, I did do that I remember doing that but you see this in work that, that people get get chosen above other people and it's for no apparent reason no apparent reason so discrimination occurs, but God is using that to change me, and he's sometimes using me in the work. In the Bible, you've got the story of Esther, and in chapter two of Esther, um, you get you get the, 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 the previous queen has been uh, sent away because of bad behavior, if you like, and then you get the moment when Esther becomes queen, and what happens is she... Um, somebody suggested to the king, why don't we go and find a whole load of really beautiful girls and bring them over? You can try them out and decide which one's going to be queen. Now, that's massive exploitation. Even back then, that's exploitation of people, of women. But that's what he did. Now, you don't find Esther in her role trying to change that system. God uses her in that situation. But she, she's not trying to change the system. You don't ever find her going... Do you know what Mordecai, that's her uncle, this is wrong. The way they treat women here, it's wrong. No, God actually places her in a place. He uses the very system that she's a part of, where she gains favor. Why? In order that his people get saved over here. So her situation, which was exploitation, is actually a situation in which she is used by God to save His people. He had a purpose in it. It wasn't the purpose that she might have thought, but he had a purpose in it to save the people. How do you handle discrimination at work? And that's a provocative word discrimination. Or or how do you handle when favoritism isn't your way? Favoritism is the way of the person sitting opposite you. And you, maybe because you're black or you're a woman or because you've got red hair, you're tempted to think, I'm being discriminated against because of all these reasons how do you handle it when that happens do you refuse to accept it do you become a campaigner for change yeah well you know we're not going to have this anymore at work i'm going to now make a stand you're not going to you're not going to um you're not going to discriminate against me because i can't spell yeah do you make a stand or do you do you, do you just lie down and just accept it? Or, or how do you respond? I just want to say this. If God wants you to change something like that, like the system, he will equip you to do it. If he wants you to do that, he will equip you to do it. But you have to ask this question, and it's a test question, whether this is, this is from yourself or from God. If you have been discriminated against, and you think it might be for whatever reason, would you show the same passion and zeal for that, for fighting that, if it wasn't you? If it wasn't you that had been overlooked because you had red hair, but, you know, maybe your friend had been overlooked, would you show the same passion and zeal to fight for it, for them or for you? Because when it gets too personal, it becomes difficult. I know when I moved uh, to another employment, I moved. I moved to King's Church, and, and there were we were learning about diversity. And I remember um, uh, raising all sorts of issues. But in many, many ways, I wasn't raising issues that were related to me personally. They weren't. They weren't just my issues. I could see that they were issues for lots of people. And in fact, if anyone uh, had been in a position where I, I had successfully navigated some. Some hurdles and some barriers, and I'd got somewhere. I'd done that and, and I was quite happy like that. But actually, God had placed something in me, and it wasn't just about me. It, it was a broader thing. So if you are gonna fight systems, you must know that God gives grace to do that, but but He gives grace to do that when when actually that's what He's called you to do, and He's not and you're not just reacting personally to something. So the purpose of your work is for God to use you and to change you. And so each morning when you go into work and maybe you're frustrated about something, God is seeking to do a work in you. And you see work like that, then actually you begin to realize, oh, this is one of the ways that God makes me more like himself. So suddenly work in and of itself becomes becomes meaningful because God is at work in me through this situation. Second principle. The purpose of your work is to serve God, not compete with others. It's to serve God, not compete with others. The passage says this, that you should work... um, Let me get it right. This is what the passage says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, competition in the workplace and in the work environment, it's there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, it's almost like if I, if I joined a marathon, not that I can run very well, as you know, but if, imagine if I, if I joined the marathon at, you know, 10 miles in, I, I'd get caught up in, in running at the speed that everyone else, or I would try at least for a short while, running at the speed that everyone else was running. You can just get caught up in things. And so competition is there. Sometimes competition is obvious. You work in an environment where maybe they put the charts on the wall that says, you know, X and Y have had these number of sales this month and, and A and B have had these number of sales. And you're like, whoa, you know, how, how, do I get, how do I compete with that? And you're in, an in, in a competitive environment. Sometimes though, competition isn't so obvious. It's competition isn't always obvious. Sometimes it is more subtle. No one says to you that you must work 12 hours a day, but the culture of the place and your sense is the expectation of the place is that's what you must do in order to get ahead. And you might not even need to do it because of the actual work you've got, but, but, but you realize, man, if I don't do all those extra hours, then, you know, other people are going to get ahead of me and all that type of stuff. So competition is a real uh, thing in work. I'm aware of that. And sometimes we're, we're driven to competition. Sometimes we're driven there through fear, actually, because we, we feel like, oh, if I if I don't get ahead, what, what will happen to me? What will happen to my career if I don't, if I don't really push this? Sometimes we're driven by a desire to, um, to be the best, which might be trying to be more than we are. Yeah? It's good to try and be your best, but to try and be the best, Sometimes competition comes in that way. Sometimes we're just driven because we're sitting next to somebody and we're like, you know, I'm going to beat them. Yeah, we're both doing, we're both, we've both got cases. I'm going to get my case. And sometimes it's just like that. You just, maybe you just don't like them or I don't know, you just, you're in competition with them. But we must understand for the Christian, the purpose of your work is to serve God. Ultimately, it's to serve God. It's not to compete with others. Now, please don't miss me. Are you saying, oh I mean, that means that you know, I just sit back, put my feet up, I don't do it? No, Obviously, you want to work, you know, whatever you do, work at it as if working for the Lord. It's the motive that's different, not necessarily the amount of energy you put in. It's why you put that energy in. That's the difference. Don't do it to win the favor of your boss, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So you do it for him, not for him. That's why you do it. But the Christian, there should come a point where maybe your boss says to you, I sense you're just not working for me. And you're like, no, I'm not. It's not ultimately about working for you. Although I'm really grateful for all the opportunities. No, I'm working for another. I'm being motivated by something else, by someone else. We read in the book of Daniel, the story of Daniel, and um, uh, when he, again, he's taken into uh, Babylon, and he's he's there really as a slave, but he's because he's bright, he's being given a particular role. And the king decides that that you know these particularly bright sparks, there's a whole load of bright guys there. That he decides that we're going to feed them in a particular way in order that they grow to be some of the best people in the land. And Daniel and his friends were some of those. And he knew that this was coming, but the Bible says this, which is really interesting. Daniel resolved with himself. He resolved with himself. Though he would be a slave in Babylon, there were some things he was not prepared to do. There were some non-negotiables for him. And in his heart, he made a decision. Do you know what? I ain't doing that. Now, for him, it was about certain foods that he wasn't prepared to eat. That's probably not the case here. You don't need to worry about, you know, I'm not going to eat the chicken sandwich. I'm not going to do that. No, we're not talking about sandwiches but there might be things that you just say the culture of this place is like I am not going to do that I'm not going to do that now it's interesting what Daniel do, does next he doesn't then just simply go oh I better just pray that God helps me here because it's going to be quite difficult If I don't do that what am I going to do how's it going to work no what Daniel does is he negotiates with his boss he says he says you know what I can't do that I can't do that Maybe he gives him some reasons. And then his boss, interestingly enough, admits that it's fear that drives him to make him do those things. It's fear. The boss says, I'm afraid of the king. This is what you've got to do. Or at least if you're not going to do this, I need to make sure that when, when you end up in this place that you're the same as everyone else. And so Daniel then negotiates. Look, and it's all about the food that they eat. And he says, just don't feed us, don't feed us the meat. Feed us vegetables only, and then let's see what happens. You see how we are at the end. And God honors that decision that he makes. God honors Daniel's faithfulness and his willingness not to compromise. And so there are times, there are times when you, we can't compromise. It's easy to. I remember going for an interview, and I was asked by this panel. I was going for an interview for a job. Um, uh, and this was, it was to be a barrister's clerk, actually, and, and, and they said to me as part of the interview, would you lie? Would you say that ex-barrister um, isn't available for this case because of why reason? You know, because, because maybe a, a bigger case had come up and, and, you know, really sorry, he can't do it. And I said, do you know what? I don't think I would. I don't think I would lie. Now, I'm not saying in that. But, oh, I mean, what? Don't you ever lie? Of course, at times we all lie, but I would never intentionally choose to go. Oh, if that moment came up, as part of the system, as part of the culture, I lie. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. And they said, not even a little white lie. I said, you know what? I don't think I'd lie. And so sometimes. Now, I didn't get the job, and I can be really holy and say, it's because of my integrity. No, I didn't get the job because I was a better person, actually. Nothing to do with my own personal integrity, I don't think. So sometimes it's important that we stand. Now, you can't make a stand on everything. Yeah, you, can't, you can't say, well, I've done my job. There's just a million things that they don't do that's right. How do, you, you can't make a stand on everything. But in your own heart, you need to resolve with yourself. There's a line I won't cross here. Whatever that might be for you, you need to decide. There's a line I won't cross. And you stand by that. So Daniel refused to engage in, if you like, trying to look the best and and be dressed in, in that sort of way. And God honored him. Because God honors that type of decision. The question, are you in competition with colleagues at work to be the best? Are you driven because of desire to to be the best or to beat them so you look good and you get ahead? What's the antidote for competition? What's the antidote for that competitive spirit? And again, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I just found this answer really helpful. When I get into that place of competing and I know I'm there, I go and I help someone. I help someone. Because how many people... Help competitors. You don't. You don't see Usain Bolt trying to help Asafa Powell over the line. Come on, come on, Asafa. And obviously, if you're in a race, you know. You know oh no, no, Christian values. I need to help. No, you don't. You don't do that. But there might be cases where, in your spirit, you go, "You know what? I'm, I know. I'm. I know. I've got that little bit. I'm. I'm competing now. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna help. All right. Why? Why are you gonna help? Because ultimately, it's not the job. It's him. You're serving another, and it needs to come out in our workplace. It's a temptation. Sometimes the temptation is to perform when it matters, when the boss is there and not when the boss isn't there. But when we're working for the Lord, every task is tackled with sincerity and reverence and passion. And I know, again, as growing up, it was one of the passages that my mum used to repeat. Whatever you do, work at it as if working for the Lord and so it worked that's what i tried to do whatever i did i'd work at it as for. now i wasn't always conscious of that but I, I know that i never not gave energy simply because as much energy as i have um, as mu- uh, i didn't not give energy because oh boss isn't in today i'll just beat up no when i was at school i did that when the teacher wasn't there but you know you hopefully you grow up and you mature so that's the second principle. The third principle is this. So the second principle is about serving. The first principle is God. The purpose of work is that God uses and changes you. And it's not necessarily about you trying to change the system. The second principle, uh, the purpose of your work is that um, you're, you're there to, I can't remember my own words, to serve God, not compete with others. The third principle is this. The purpose of your work is to please the Lord, not your boss. It's to please the Lord, not your boss. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Just as much as there are people... Here today, who are those that maybe get discriminated against, and favour goes on other people, and, and maybe you struggle a bit uh, with that because they're always choosing this person and they're not choosing you. By the same token, there are people here today who have favour with their boss. Yeah, your boss loves you. Yeah, your boss likes you. Yeah, and your boss maybe does discriminates in your favour. Now, at one level, you can go, well, that's just wonderful. God's given me favor here. And, uh, you know, it's one of my bosses opens the door for me, gives me extra money. You know, I'm, I'm sorry for my colleagues. But, you know. Uh, now, actually, we have to be really wise in how we handle favor. Yeah? Favor, favor can seem like a really good Christian word. Oh, God's giving me favor in the workplace. And obviously, that is true. But you can manipulate that, you can misuse that, you can make more of that. Than you ought to. We can use situations for our advantage, particularly if you're in an environment where the nature of that culture is to do that, and everyone accepts that. That's oh, you've been given that information. Well, you don't go sharing that. You share that information, then that that might help someone else. In Genesis verse thirty nine, you read the story of Joseph, and Joseph. Um, ends up in Potiphar's house, and he ends up as the sort of, he's a slave, remember, Joseph, but he ends up running the household of Potiphar. And he's running it, and he's running it really well, and he had favor with Potiphar. And then uh, the Bible says, and this is interesting that the Bible uses that word, these words, that Joseph was well-built and handsome, which meant there were going to be temptations that come to him that don't come to me every day. Yeah Joseph's well built and handsome and so he's getting tempted in other ways yeah and Potiphar's wife goes for Joseph she wants to sleep with him so he has the opportunity to sleep with his boss's wife she makes it really clear Joseph I'm up for this if you're up for this and you know what he could have probably got away with it she wasn't going to tell she's he's in the house she's in the house what's to stop him He could have got away with it. He could have made the most of that situation. He could have taken advantage of a situation because if he gets his boss's wife on side as well, actually, that's probably quite a good thing. He could have made the most of it. But it's interesting how Joseph responds. It's interesting because, because when he refuses her, he doesn't say, You know, I mean, he does talk about, I've been given all this responsibility. My my master has given me everything to be responsible for. The only thing he's withheld from me is you. Why would, and then he says, why would I do such a thing? Or how could I do such a thing and sin not against my master, but against God? How could I do that? How could I sin against God by sleeping with you? That's what he says to her. And as a result, his integrity in the short term cost him everything. Everything. You just need to imagine that. Just let's imagine for a moment that Joseph has a close friend and he goes to that close friend and he tells them what really happened. Oh, this, is, this is what happened. And the friend says, Do you know what? She's got a reputation for that. You should tell people, Joseph. This is wrong. You shouldn't shouldn't allow yourself to be treated this way. Joseph goes, Do you know what? No. I'm not going to sin against God. I'm not going to get involved. And in the short term, it cost him. And there must have been moments in prison, well, we know there were moments in prison where he's probably thinking to himself, Doing the right thing was pointless. It's, it's, It's just cost me. It's just caused me grief. But what happens in the long term? It benefits him. And it benefits the people. God sent him there for a reason. God put him in prison for a reason. If nothing else, it tells us that you can go through difficult situations in your life and in your workplace that might last for a long time. And on the outside, everyone might be going, do you know what? Yeah, I just wondered about him sometimes. and But actually, God, God is in it. God is in it. And although everything on the outside and everything in you might be going, I just don't know what's happening. Why am I being treated so unfairly? This isn't right. Actually, later, Joseph is able to say, do you know what, brothers? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm sure that story is in the Bible to teach us something about handling things when they're difficult and recognizing that, that sometimes God's using us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And he's putting us in a place and in a position so that when we, when, we're read, when we need to be called upon, we're ready. Because that's Joseph's story. That's how Joseph handled it. But I know that that's hard. I know that that's hard because, because we like, you know, we're, we're in a sort of a, a push-button age. We like answers now to stuff. The idea of, of sacrificing stuff now the benefit later, we find that hard. Yeah, we just find that difficult to say. Well, okay, if I, uh, I'll, I'll refrain from that in order that I can gain later. I'll, 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 I'll stand with integrity, even though it might cost me now. We actually find that hard. And yet, actually, that is often how God uses us. There's a question: Are you, or am I? a man-pleaser or God-pleaser? Do I compromise? Maybe I'm not necessarily talking about sleeping with somebody, but do I compromise to take advantage of a situation that might benefit me? Do I misuse favor from the boss? Do I misuse what I have in order to get ahead to get stuff from the boss? Would I pass information on to a colleague who was potential competition for me? Now I've done this, and um, uh, d- d- not so much promotion. I didn't get many promotions. Um, although I did get a few promotions, um, but I remember being in a situation where I uh, I gave information to a colleague that, and Pauline really didn't like this. I gave information to a colleague that meant um, that I missed out on something that I, I, I could have got. And I remember talking to Pauline about it, and uh, and uh, I remember just telling. I said, "Oh no, you should do this." Yeah, I didn't realise at the time I was gonna. It was gonna cost me particularly, but I said, "No, you should do this. You know, this information. This is true. You can do this, and you can do this." And they went ahead and done it, and it meant that I missed out. And and my honest response to that is okay. That is honestly how I respond. Okay. You know, I, I'm I'm recognising that there are moments—not every moment in my life—but there are moments where I go, "Do you know what? He he knows. He knows. I might have been overlooked for that or that, and I might have even put the person who took the role in the place. But he knows. That's how we're to be. We're to seek to please God, not to please man. So, what's the the antidote for this? Manipulation, how how do we ensure that we use favor correctly? It's simply this. Be motivated to do well at work because it pleases God, not just gets you ahead. Just be motivated because it pleases God. Now, if you think about this, it might change how you wake up every morning and go to work. Because you'll wake up and you won't just say, oh, God, help me. You'll say, Father, today's about pleasing you. Today's about honouring you, and it's about loving you. And whatever it takes in that workplace to do that, I want to do it. I want to do it. Now, I can't give you all the detail in your workplace, but a prayer like that, prayed every day, God will honour it. God will come to you. Now, just a very quick question, and what about if you're the boss? I haven't really covered that. I don't have much time to cover that. It's interesting, though, that the only time the passage talks about rights and fairness is when he talks to the boss, not to the worker. Give your workers what is right and what is fair. And that you are to do that. If you're in a position of responsibility over other people, give them what is right and what is fair. Protect those that you work with, those that you maybe manage. Find ways, appropriate ways of pastoring them, helping them, encouraging them. God has a purpose for you at work, but often that purpose is not not always what we think it is. His purpose is that he might change us. He's more interested in what's going on inside of you than he is in whether or not you've got all the rights. I remember when I, again, I got a job, and um, I, I was in the job now, so it was a bit late. Um, I'm in the job, I'm sitting down there working, and the guy from the human resources comes in, and he shows me um, my pay scale. And, and it was much less than what I thought I had, <laughs> I had agreed when I came for the job. And I pointed that out, he said, oh no, no, that's what it is. And I was like, oh. Yeah, Now I'm a bit naive, and I, and I just accepted it. I, and I was like, now, thankfully, I, I don't think I had a mortgage at that point or anything, but I just sort of thought, oh, okay. He knows. And and when I say that, that was a genuine thing. I, I'm not just, oh, it's easy to say that now, I mean, but that was genuinely how it was a little bit for me. God knows. Okay, I want to I wanna pray. So why don't we stand? We're going to finish this. I'm just going to pray. Um, we can all just just stand where we are. First off, I'm just going to pray a very general prayer that God will give us all grace at work, that we'll be thankful for our jobs, and we'll be thankful that actually he's placed people around us who are helping us to become more like him. So I'm just going to pray a very general prayer to begin with. Father, let's be honest. We don't, we don't all love our work. We don't all love getting up every day and going to work. And some people are really, really happy because there's two bank holidays this week. Or it's half term. Praise be to God. But Father, we recognize that you put us in work. And that you've given us jobs. And that, that each one of us here who's got a job, it's a, it's a grace. It's a grace. It's a grace gift from heaven. You might not see it like that, but actually it's a grace gift from heaven. Sometimes we have awkward bosses. I understand that. But God, you use those situations to change us, to make us more like you. I just pray, God, that below the surface of work, we would see an, an orientation that moves our inner motivation towards you, that we will look beyond the boss, beyond the culture, And we'll look to Jesus and we'll say, do you know what? The way I work is is about pleasing him. It's about about following him. And I pray, God, for every person here to have grace in their workplace. I pray for wisdom where they have to handle situations that are tricky and difficult. I pray for wisdom. But I pray most of all for grace, that you will give them grace. Now I want to pray specifically for people who you know you've got caught up in the work culture, but you don't know how to get out of it. And if that's you, I just want you to, to raise your hand. You, you've got caught up with everything and you, you, you think, yeah, you're right, you're right, but I don't know how to get out of it. And if that's you, I just want you to put your hand up where you are. Father, I want to pray for any who are like that, that they've got caught up They don't know how to get out of it. God, I I just want to pray that you would give them great wisdom. I also pray, God, in your mercy and your grace, you will provide a way out. Lord, you'll provide a way out of it so they don't feel trapped by work. They don't feel so caught up in the workplace. So, Lord, I ask for any who are like that, that you would come to them, you would help them, you would give them grace in that situation. And finally, I want to pray for any who, you know, you've got caught up and actually, you know, you can make some decisions to change that situation. You know, you can do that. And if that's you, I just want you to put your hand up. You've got caught up in work, maybe in the culture of work. And you think, you know what? Yeah, I can live differently. I can operate differently. Um, And I need to make some decisions. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up. Father, I pray for any here who feel that, who feel that the work, uh, that they've got caught up in a culture which they can change. And Lord, I pray you would give people uh, the strength to do that, the courage to do that, and the ability to do that. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you are uh, over all things and that your your grace is upon us in this place. You understand what it means to work in this city. You understand what it means to be in the place that we are, Monday to Friday, uh, nine to five or nine to eight or whatever the times are. You understand it. So I pray, O oh God, for you to help us, each one. Right in Jesus' name.